0: A security industry veteran weighs in on the market view and priorities for 2018. The latest on the meltdown and spectrum microprocessor flaws and questions about the Forever 21 malware attack. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Joan Goodchild. Leading our report today highlights from a recent interview with Dave DeWalt, ex-CEO of McAfee & FireEye, now Managing Director of Allegis Cyber and the founder of Night Dragon Security. DeWalt spoke with Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial, about the market view of security in 2018. As a security veteran who's worked in the technology space for more than 20 years, DeWalt reflects on the early days of antivirus and how cyber defense has certainly changed in recent years.
1: Early on days, there was a lot of viruses out there, quantity-based viruses. I still remember to this day uh, the number of viruses that we were managing during my time at McAfee. At one point, we had over 60 million uh, antivirus signatures in our daily update engine, what we call our dad engine. Uh, so we had an era of quantity-based um, attacks, You know, lots and lots of viruses, very um, difficult to track, polymorphic, parasitic-type, of um, of viruses that would just grow and change constantly. And then along came a a new era, and I sort of call it the the Great Chinese Wave, Um, and we ended up seeing this massive attack uh, sequencing from the Chinese military and intelligence operations. Uh, We ended up responding to more than 5,500 American breaches during my time at Mandiant and FireEye, and during that window, it was not quantity-based. It was very quality-based. And this gave birth to the APT, or the Advanced Persistent Threat Problem. And we just watched these massive assaults from government on commercial operation.
0: DeWalt also fills us in on his priority this coming year.
1: Now, as we move into 2017, 2018, we're seeing all these, what I call new subdomains of cyberspace. And what I mean by a subdomain is these new areas that these large military intelligence operations are exploiting Uh, probably most notable is the social domain that we watch witness with the elections and the russian interference and collusion in the election process and leveraging identities and false identities false content uh, being able to breach these social media enterprises and ultimately create influence and the information warfare versus the ip warfare But now we're watching a tremendous amount of satellite-type issues, um, and we're watching a lot of interference in the IoT world, the industrial IoT world, uh, cloud security. So there's all these subdomains, satellites and social and IoT and consumer and cloud that are kind of the next generation of cyberspace problems, and quite frankly, where I'm investing and where I'm advising are in these subdomains.
0: In his interview, DeWalt looks forward and weighs in on the role of government in cybersecurity in
1: 2018. Homeland Security, the FBI, the NSA, the CIA, the agencies involved have a critical part of defense for our nation-state and for our, our critical infrastructure. So it's vital that we continue to up-level our defenses. Uh, public-private partnerships are key here as well. And very pleased to watch the administrations and prior administrations growing in our relationships to the private sector. Companies like FireEye and Mandiant and all the others that I'm involved with, um, these relationships are vital because we oftentimes have visibility to the private sector with our intelligence. When married together with the intelligence that they collect, we oftentimes can create attribution to an attacker. Uh, much like we did in the Sony case with North Korea back a few years ago, or some of the other large breaches that occurred. So the combination of collaboration with the government, as well as the government's initiatives to up-level defense, uh, as well as increase, uh, in some cases, regulation for breach notification of all created higher awareness And I believe that's just the beginning of what we all have to do. You can hear
0: more of Tom Field's interview with Dave DeWalt this week on our ISMG sites. When we return, fixes to flaws in microprocessors cause problems.
2: And when they come back to their system, it's locked up as it was booting.
3: You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news.
1: ISMG's 2018 global events will take place in over 100 cities across four continents. Don't miss the opportunity to meet with over 5,000 senior information security professionals and leading technology vendors from around the world to discuss the most pressing cybersecurity issues we face today. Visit
0: events.ismg.io today. Welcome back. Recently discovered flaws in microprocessors could be used to steal kernel data, including passwords and encryption keys. The issue is being covered by Matthew Schwartz, executive editor of Data Breach Today. He joins us now with the latest. Hi, Matt. Hello, John. So we're talking about Meltdown Inspector. we We've been covering this now for the last several days. Give us a little bit of a recap, first of all, of what we're talking about.
2: Yes, so meltdown inspector are attacks against flaws in CPUs or the microprocessors that run in millions of PCs, servers and other devices that have chips made by Intel, AMD and ARM. Not all chips have these flaws, a lot of Intel ones do. Other makers have this problem to a lesser extent. But In a nutshell, Meltdown refers to an exploit that could be used to read kernel memory. Now, neither of these attacks have been seen in the wild, but the fear with Meltdown is that it would be relatively easy to exploit, and you could steal things like passwords or encryption keys. Spectre is the other series of exploitations. that, That refers specifically to two flaws that could, again, make items in kernel memory available to attackers. Obviously, this is a bad thing, and processor makers, as well as operating system manufacturers and application developers, and developers of antivirus and browsers and other software, are trying to get related fixes and defenses in place as quickly as possible.
0: So where do things stand with regard to fixes
2: right now? The answer is varied. Intel has released some fixes, and AMD and ARM have said that they are less affected by these flaws. But you can expect to see fixes for firmware that runs these processors coming out. The challenge is going to be that OEMs who sell devices with these chips are going to have to take the firmware updates and get them out to end users. As we've seen with so many things that are actually in use these days, from PCs that still run Windows XP to home routers, many of these devices will never get updated. So that is one challenge is actually getting these processor firmware fixes in place. Now, it's good that we've got the firmware updates. We're also seeing updates or at least update timelines from the likes of Apple with its Mac OS and also iOS operating systems, both of which are vulnerable, both of which already have received updates. And Apple's promised to update Safari very soon. That's important because security experts think that one of the primary ways that these flaws will be exploited is via malicious JavaScript that targets vulnerable browsers. So if we can get these browsers locked down, we're gonna be in much better shape.
0: Now, what are we watching going forward? Have there been any hiccups, things that you'll be keeping your eye on that you're hearing about?
2: One interesting hiccup so far is that users of Windows PCs, desktops, laptops that have AMD chips inside have been reporting that their systems have been freezing after they install Microsoft's Windows security update. Now, this is not all AMD chips. Some users report some go fine and some don't. But the ones that don't go well, these users are having the security update, sometimes auto update, and when they come back to their system, it's locked up as it was booting. And they're having difficulty rolling it back because these automatic updates keep wanting to come back. So Microsoft hasn't addressed this yet. I would expect them to. These sorts of hiccups are not unusual. Microsoft also had to rush a fix out. There was meant to be a coordinated vulnerability release for this on January 9, but Google decided to push details of this early because researchers were starting to independently figure out these flaws. And the rush was on to get something, anything out there. So we're seeing some catch up being played now. Unfortunately, for some AMD users, this is going to cause some long term cleanup issues.
0: Great. Matthew Schwartz, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan. Another headline-making security incident we're following is the Forever 21 breach, in which the apparel retailer announced point-of-sale systems in some of its stores were infected by malware for up to seven months, compromising shoppers' payment card data. Tracy Kitten, ISMG's Director of Global Events, Content, and Executive Editor of Bank Info Security, has been covering fraud and related breaches like this for many years. She joins us now with her analysis on the breach. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Joan. Let's start with your initial impressions of it and what jumps out at you about what we've been
3: hearing and what we've been seeing with regard to this breach. Yeah, so this breach looks like a pretty traditional type of point of sale breach. One of the things that, that kind of stood out to me and Forever 21 has not come out and said this, Joan, in any, anything that I've read in any of the statements that come, have come out or any of the, the media reports, but it looks like this was probably a remote access attack. Um, so hackers were able to compromise some type of remote access software, whether that be LogMeIn or something else, and they were able to access the point of sale systems. So depending on how they got into the systems, you know, it could have been a third, Third party payment processor that they that they were able to breach and then they were able to access these point-of-sale systems it could be this third-party um, remote access software that was attacked it could even be a third-party vendor maybe that was compromised and then led to these point-of-sale systems but I think overall um, what I'm reading between the lines here is that perhaps and and really very likely other retailers have been impacted by this as well now
0: that's an interesting point some of the analysis in our coverage over the last several days includes that you know a lot of security experts really say that an organization that uses POS terminals should probably assume they've been breached and this they can really prove
3: otherwise um you know what are your thoughts on that true not true yeah, well, I guess it's all relative, right? I think if you are a US retailer, yes, I would I would wholeheartedly um, agree with that statement. And let's look to the Free Forever 21 breach as an example. So here we can see that these were clearly magnetic stripe transactions that were compromised. These were not EMV chip transactions. Forever 21 has a presence in other markets. In fact, they have uh, more than 400 stores that they're operating globally. And right now it looks like um, this breach was isolated to US car- cardholders impacted U.S. cardholders. So that in and of itself kind of makes the argument for why we need to have EMV. If you're a U.S. retailer and you're still conducting and accepting magnetic stripe transactions, you should assume that, yes, it's very likely that your cardholder data has been breached or will be breached.
0: And there's still a lot of questions that are unanswered now as this news continues to unfold, including why was encryption turned off Um, You know, they were storing data logs, which is controversial in and of itself. What kind of highlight issues do you pull out of sort of the follow up that you'll be paying attention to in the coming weeks?
3: Yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad that you brought up the encryption piece, Joan. I mean, this kind of goes without saying, right, it's a no brainer. Encryption doesn't work if you don't have it turned on. And I think it goes back to this whole notion of uh, data card security. Right. And I think if we look at some of what the PCI Council has been preaching for years, more than a decade really, compliance is not a constant state. You could be compliant one day and out of compliant the next day and that's why you constantly have to be checking your point of sale systems, checking your systems overall and constantly reaffirming compliance. You know, here's a prime example. Encryption is is great. And we all know that end-to-end encryption is something that can protect cardholder data even in a non-EMV environment. But if the encryption isn't on, it doesn't do any good. The other point that you brought up was the storing of transaction logs. Uh, the PCI Council has been preaching this for years as well. And the mantra has been, if you don't need it, don't store it. Why Forever 21 was storing transaction logs is beyond me. And that's something that a QSA should have picked up on when doing uh, a PCI compliance assessment. Now, no one is perfect, right? And I know that, you know, oftentimes outdated software will create a transaction log. So this may have been something that that Forever 21 and probably very likely was not even aware of. Great. Tracy Kitten, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Joan. I appreciate it.
0: That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Joan Goodchild. Catch you next time.